Welcome to Inspire Campfire, a podcast where ordinary people tell their stories of extraordinary adventure. These are campfire stories meant to inspire the rest of us to light the fire within, get outside, follow our dreams, and return to tell our own stories. Ready? Let's strike the match. Welcome, welcome. Oh, today we have such a special treat at the campfire. Um, you know, I've been on a journey of personal growth my whole life. Setting big goals and working to achieve them has always been something that's been a huge passion for me. And today we're going to talk about climbing Mount Everest. So in mountaineering, this is like the goal that's as big as it gets. And in life, Climbing Mount Everest is a metaphor for that big, hairy, audacious goal. It seems impossible. It seems crazy. Everest is the world's highest peak. It stands at over 29,000 feet above sea level, which is equal to five and a half miles up in the sky. So according to Wikipedia, the first recorded summit of Everest was by Sir Edmund Hillary in Tenzig, Norway in 1953. But I guess there's some controversy around that because George Mallory and Andrew Irvin made an attempt in 1924, but they did not return to tell their story. So it's unconfirmed whether they actually reached the summit. So as of 1987, only 200 people had actually summited. Um, but climbing this behemoth has become more popular in recent years. And by 2013, there had been 6,871 summits. Over 200 people have died on Mount Everest, and many of their bodies remain on the mountain. We're about to have a campfire conversation with my very good friend, Taylor Grist. Taylor is a local boy from Concord, North Carolina. He's a family man, and he is a very dear friend. He's one of the most humble, down-to-earth, and funny people that I know. And he also just returned from an epic journey to climb Mount Everest. Taylor, my man, welcome to the campfire. What's up, Scott? How are you? <laughs> What's going on, man? I am uh, so excited about this conversation. Me too. Me too, buddy. Man, uh, I, I mean, how does it feel to be back? Uh, surreal. <laughs> that's, how, that's how I would put it. The the stats you put up um, makes it sound so grim and and, and deadly. <laughs> but uh, coming back, it's a, it's a totally different story than uh, than how it's perceived. So. Yeah, good to be back. Good to be back with family. Good to be back to work, um, but also miss the simplicity of the mountains as well and the ease of making decisions compared to being back here. <laughs> it's a lot tougher. Yeah. So, so I mean, let's go right in, man. The, the 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 stats make it sound grim. I mean, Mount Everest is a big, hairy, audacious goal, but you just said it's it's not as grim as scary as it looks. Like, talk to me about that. Yeah. Just um, you know, feet on the ground, and you know, it's a it's an amazing adventure. Um, most time it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. Um, and so, you know, having the right team and having the right company to support you and, and get over there, especially during the pandemic was uh, pivotal. Um, and uh, it's, uh, it's scary at first, but then once you get there and you're sitting at base camp and you're looking up, it's not, it's not as bad as it seems. Um, so. <laughs> well, so, and and that's that's certainly one of the places that I want to go. I definitely want to talk about the details of the trip. I think people yeah. listening are like, you know, I'm super intrigued. Like, what what is a what is the story of Mount Everest? Like, what, what does that take? But I mean, you just said yourself, like, there's a whole lot of fear that that you have in the beginning, 
And then uh, once you get there, it's not so bad. But I mean, I got to believe like that's that's the hardest part is give, getting over that fear. So like yeah. tell me about that fear, like that decision making process. Yeah. So um, it's it's uh, it's not a spur of the moment journey. It's uh, something that takes years and years and years. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I started I started really back in scouts um, when I was young and rock climbing and backpacking and camping and wilderness survival and just, you know, everything that's every every learning and every climb that I've done ever since then kind of led up to this this pivotal point of Mount Everest. <laughs> yeah. um, and it actually it, it wasn't even a goal of mine until until actually COVID hit and um, and uh, then it became an opportunity that uh, I was able to take advantage of very quickly. It's uh, uh, a full a full year of training um, during a pandemic uh, and traveling up to New Hampshire to ice climb with some with some key people up there about once a month and then uh, hired a, a coach through Training Peaks um, that came one of my really good buddies and uh, you know just started that path and. A year later, we were ready to roll, and we're, we were able to get a flight into into Nepal and and start our trek in. That's amazing. So, I mean, it, it's good to hear. Like, you don't just wake up one day and go, "I think I'll climb Mount Everest today." <laughs> I, wish, I wish it was that easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so scouts, so climbing, outdoor adventures. Like, um, how did you get into mountaineering? I would say maybe. I'm trying to remember the exact date. I had a couple of buddies that went to climb Rainier and they invited me along and, uh, and I passed it up. And then the next year I went and I was like, I was hooked at that point in time. As you know, those two people were, were yourself and, uh, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Southernman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when you came, yeah. when you guys came back and I heard your stories, I was like, oh man, this sounds like, sounds like something for me. Man, and the, and the fun thing is, like, I had a blast on that trip, but then, you know, watching you kind of go and do Mount Rainier, and then I think you did Mount Rainier a few times, didn't you? You did a couple of different... Yeah, three times, once in the wintertime, yeah. Yeah, and and so what's, what's super fun about this, to kind of bring it full circle, the voiceover for this podcast is my friend named Kevin Schoolcraft, and I'm sure he'll be on this podcast at some point, but he was my inspiration for Mount Rainier. Awesome. <laughs> that is a full circle. It's totally full circle. Now it's, uh, I mean, that was, I think that was close to 15 years ago, but man, I like, you know, life, life tends to get in the way on some of this stuff. I mean, we've both, we've both, uh, you know, had a lifelong journey of craziness uh, just out of college and, you know, being, being uh, recently graduated, irresponsible 20 somethings and and having families and growing, but like, watching you and your journey with mountaineering has been so cool. Like, so, so you did Mount Rainier, but then, you know, you had a couple of other buildups to Everest. Yeah. Mount Rainier. And then, um, I climbed, uh, the, the tallest mountains in Mexico. Um, and then I traveled around South America and did climbing, um, in Bolivia and Chile and Argentina. Um, and then I, in 17, I did Denali and was able to summit Denali. Um, and then from there, it, it was, uh, I was planning to do Aconcagua <clears throat> and then COVID hit. And I was like, my wife and I just sat down. And I was like, you know, it's never really was a goal to be, to climb Everest. And then yeah. the opportunity just opened up and looking at a full year of being home. Cause I, I used to travel 70% of time at work and looking at a full year of being home. I was like, 
man, what a great opportunity this would be just to put in the work, train, and uh, and get an opportunity to go climb Everest. And so that's that's where the way it kind of built up to it. So let's so let's go right to that. You said the opportunity opened up. Like what 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 did that look like? Yeah. So as the world shut down, um, you know. It's my travel, which was 70% of the time, um, North and South America. Um, it, it just went to zero. Um, there was no travel anymore. Um, and from there it's a goal oriented person like myself. That's, that's always, <laughs> always looking for what's that next, next, uh, piece to come to try to complete you, I would say, yeah. Yeah. um, you know, what, what was, what did that look like? And then. So I was like, you know, Aconcagua would be awesome. And so I signed up for Aconcagua through a company called Climbing the Seven Summits and uh, and hired a coach through Training Peaks, Training Peaks, um, Mark Postal, one of the one of the best guys I know. Nice. And uh, and from there, we just started training. And um, and then as COVID started unfolding even more and worse and worse, you know, Argent all countries started to shut down. Um, and then I was like, man, I, you know, what am I going to do? I got all this training. I got all this stuff. And so we put together a plan. My coach and I put together a plan to, you know, hone in on ice climbing and, and get up to New Hampshire. Cause I still traveled uh, personally, just not for work. And so started traveling up to New Hampshire, climbing ice up there. Um, and then couldn't get down to Argentina. So Ecuador opened up. So I was able to travel down to Ecuador and get, and get on Cotopaxi, Cayambre and Chimbrazo. And uh, was able to put in some work down there, and then Everest, Nepal opened up, and we're like, "Hey, let's give it a, let's give it a shot." And so, uh, all the uh, work and training and led us up to uh, opportunity. And that opportunity was Everest. So talk yeah. about that. Just like so, yeah. you said Nepal opened up, yeah. and it was like, "Hey, let's give it a shot." That I mean, was it that easy? Like Nepal opened up, and you just like we're going. Was there like, it was, what was that decision making process? Like? Next, well, decision making process was. Hey, Lindsay, which is my wife, <laughs> what do you think about this idea? And she was like, okay, all right, I'm cool with it. Let's do it. And then uh, the next step was my boss. And he's like, hell yeah, like you should do that. And I was like, okay, sounds good. So I had two, two of the hardest obstacles kind of just taken care of. Um, and then what it really looked like was uh, basically just down in some gear, down in some technical training um, and just focusing on fitness um, where I had nothing but time, but through Zoom calls and being at home, I mean, there's a lot of time. I mean, a lot of time to work out in the the garage gym and just put in the work and and get ready for it. I mean, that's like crazy special thing, Taylor. You know, to have your wife and your employer support that. I mean, how how long were you gone? Sixty five days. Sixty five days. So yeah, so how did you swing that from a work standpoint? I mean. Yeah, I just I asked and they uh, and they said okay. Um, I had it. It helps that I have I have been with my company for 17 years and been mm -hmm. in our industry for 24 years, and they have supported me throughout the whole process of my climbing through Denali and through all my other ones. And so they were like, "It's just the next next step for you." So we we're 100 in. We we're we're your cheerleaders. Is pretty much the way they put it. I love. I mean, that's awesome. We're your cheerleaders. Yes. And I, th I think that's really forward thinking of your company because like, obviously you go and you do something like this and it, it makes um, such a better leader of you. I mean, you're, you're tackling this, this sort of thing and you're, you're clearly going to come back a better person and, you know, more able to, to do what you do. And yeah, it's, that's um, a, it's a pretty special thing. 
Yeah, it's funny you saying that. Um, it's it's different. It's um, when you're constant when 65 days you're in a fight or flight mode. <laughs> it's pretty much what you are. Um, and you come back. It your choices are a lot are a lot more simpler um, when you come back. Um, you're not having to choose between one stream or another. It's uh, it's it makes it a little bit easier coming back and and taking on more responsibility because you know you can deal with it. So what? So what's the, okay? So the fight or flight when you're out there. I mean, let's yeah. let's go let's go to Everest. So yeah. so talk about that fight or flight. Like, do you wanna do you wanna kind of just give a quick overview? Like of the you said you were there 65 days. Like, what, yeah. can you kind of walk through what that 65 days look like? Yeah. So traveling during a pandemic is pretty crazy, anyways. Um, you know your PCR tests, your your quarantine once you get the Kathmandu. Um, but from there, um, once you're there, it's once you get there, it's really half, half of it's taken care of. Um, the next step is really about a 14, 15 day trek in through the, the Kumba Valley. Um, and you're staying in these tea houses, you're doing acclimatization climbs um, in between that for about 15 days. And then once you get to base camp, you're living at 17,500 feet um, for the rest of the time. I mean, that's where, where you reside, that's where, you know, you're, you're trying to acclimatize as much as you can with the shortness of oxygen. Um, and then the milestones really on Everest are, I mean, you couldn't do it without the people um, and the support of the Sherpas and um, of your climbing team. And, you know, just uh, the the hardest part, you know, is well, the most deadly part is going through the uh, Kumba Icefall. Um, but once you get through that and it's pretty, pretty hectic, you're going through it like early early morning hours where everything's still frozen but you can hear blocks of ice just crunching behind you and all around you and avalanches all around you as well and it's it's pretty crazy what, so what's going through your mind and what's going through your body at that time um can i get enough oxygen can i get enough food and one step in front of the other <laughs> so is it a is it a worry of future is it like worry or is it like are you actually feeling shortness of breath or are you just um, worried about what might happen or are you actually feeling this stuff? I, I don't think you worry about too much more than about like what's going to happen. It's more of your, your present in the moment in that point in time. I mean, it's like, how do I get through this as quickly as possible? How do I make sure that I'm keeping enough calories in me so I don't bonk? How do I make sure that drinking enough water because I mean, just so I don't get dehydrated and get altitude sickness. It's so many different things are happening at one given time. And it's like, am I too cold? Am I too warm? Am I, do I have enough water? Do I have too much weight? It's like just so many different things. And so, um, you know, your first trip through, you make, you make roughly uh, three rotations through the uh, Kumba. Um, and your first time through, it's just, it's, it's just, uh, eye on the prize, just staying yeah. one foot in front of the other. Yeah. Yeah. And how long does it take to get through the Kumba? First, um, so this year, this year was a really dry year. Um, so going back to it, there, this year was a crazy year, um, just because COVID. Um, not a lot of people traveling. Um, you know, not a lot of people on the trail. Um, it was pretty much dead on the trail for real. There was like usually it's packed, and from what we heard, but like we hardly saw anybody on the way in. And then once we got to base camp, it was, um, it was, it was, it was scarce. And then it started to fill up. Yeah. No, like, so the, the time that it takes, cause you said you had to go through the Kumbu icefall a couple of times. How long did it take to get through the icefall? The first time it took us eight and a half hours. And okay. then the second time took us six hours. 
Yeah. Okay. So you had to go through twice. So do you go through and then come back down, come back down and then back up again? So you go through, you stay at camp one, um, Mm -hmm. and then maybe go to camp two, depending on the weather. Yeah. Um, then come back down, you wait for a good weather window. Um, then you do your second rotation and you go up to camp three, come back down, then you wait on your summit rotation. And then from there, you got about a five day, five day trip up and down. Five day trip up and down. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Once you're acclimatized, once you get through it. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Cool. So you've got the um, one thing that intrigues me in this whole thing is you've got Sherpas that are helping you the whole time. You do. Like, you do. Are, are these people with you the entire time? Pretty much. Yeah. They uh, from the start of your once you get once you once you're in Kathmandu, you meet you meet the, your Sherpas that you're with uh, and your your climbing team. From there, you're together until until your trip out. And so our Sherpas are, I mean, we're phenomenal. I mean, they're they're the backbone of this industry and of this uh, climb. They're the ones that fix the lines. They're the ones that, you know, make sure that everything goes as according to plan as much as possible. Yeah. Keep you safe. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, and so I'm curious, how how high do they go with you? All the way. All the um, way to the top. Like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're they're they have to be with you the whole time. It's like Nepal policy. Um, they have to be with you the whole time. To me, that's a pretty incredible thing. You know, people travel there to climb to climb Mount Everest, but these people are doing it like how many times a year? One or two, one or two times they'll do it. And like, uh, you know, you're with them night and day for 65 days. So they're, they become your family. I mean, they like, they're, they're still my family. We still stay in touch. We're, we're, we're constantly close. We talk a lot. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's that Buddhist culture They're They are, they're the most loving people I've ever met in, in, in all of my travels. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the best people in the world. Yeah. My guess is you made them laugh. I'm sure they made me laugh as well. <laughs> was a, I'm, I'm was sure a, those guys loved hanging out with Taylor Grist. I'm sure you are a pleasure to, to serve. My uh, my nickname was uh, San Miguel. And so San Miguel is a beer in the region. And nice. so on the trek in, um, we I was the one staying up late with them, drinking beers with them and uh, hanging out and like getting to know them a lot better. And so uh, they nicknamed me San Miguel. San Miguel, I love it. Okay, I'm going to keep that one in mind for future. Absolutely. Taylor, you guys got up to uh, a really high altitude and yeah. uh, you guys didn't get to the top. You had no, some stuff you had some stuff happen. You want to tell us about that? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, like I said, crazy crazy season. I, I would I wouldn't do it over. I mean, I would do it over again. Yeah, of course. But uh, you know, we we execute our team executed flawlessly for our first rotation, second rotation, and uh, on our second rotation. Well, so let me just go through this. So, first rotation, um, you know, we made it to camp one. We got we got bogged down on a three day, uh, two and a half day, um, pretty much a storm. So we got stuck in our tents for two and a half days of sixty five mile an hour plus winds, which just rip rip tents rip some tents apart, almost distort our dining tent. And then we made it back down and um, it was great acclimatizing for being up there and just being in the weather. Once we once we finished our first rotation, we did our second rotation. Second rotation took us to Camp 1 where we stayed another night. Um, then we moved up to Camp 2 at roughly 22,000 feet. Camp 1's at like 19.5. Then we moved up to 22,000. 22, stayed at Camp 2, had some more weather come in. And during this time period, I think that was when the first typhoon went through. And we had two typhoons actually go through um, while we were there. Yeah. And then after camp two, we went up to camp three at 23,500 feet. 
And from camp three up, that's where you start using oxygen. Okay. Um, and I like what I don't think most people understand is like the fluctuation in temperatures. It's just, it's crazy. Like it could be like negative 30 or it could be like 105 degrees Fahrenheit um, just from the radiant heat off the glacier. Really? Wow. Yeah. And then, and then as you're going from camp one to camp two, it's like um, you're going through the coal and um, it's, there's hardly any wind. It's just the sun's just beating on you hard. And uh, wow. same thing. Same thing was whenever we were when we were, we were coming back from Camp Three. It's just so hot, just so hot. I didn't realize it got so hot. Wow. Yeah, the the weather changes pretty quickly. That's why you have to wear like a negative forty down suit and then try to shed that pretty quickly as well. Yeah. So so you're at twenty three thousand five hundred, and you're within like days, hours yeah. of your yeah. summit attempt. Um, about a day and a half. Yeah. Okay. About a day and a half. And so we, we made it all the way back from camp three, back to camp one. I mean, got the base camp and we're, we're sitting at base camp. We had that second typhoon going through and we're waiting on our weather window. And what happened was, um, what we are, we had a group up at the, at the South Cole camp four and, okay. um, and they mentioned that their Sherpas were moving pretty slowly and, um, which, you know, sparked some, uh, conversation around camp and then. Um, we were, we were roughly teed up for our summit rotation. It was like nine o'clock at night. Um, we all, we had all just kind of left the dining tent, getting ready to go to bed and, and wake up at 1am and start, start heading for the summit or start heading for, for our summit attempt. And, uh, what happened was we all got called out of our tents. All eight of us got called out of our tents, all went to the dining room tent. And they let us know that, uh, all of our climbing Sherpa at camp two had COVID and we were like, what? Like just totally wow. kind of destroyed us. So we, uh, we put a 24 hour hold on, on our summit rotation. And, um, what happened was we found, we tested everyone, found out they had COVID and, and really you have to have one-to-one -one Sherpa. And, um, we just didn't have, we didn't have the numbers to make it work. We tried everything for a couple of days just to see if we could get other Sherpas from, from other places and we just couldn't do it. And so we had to cancel the, uh, cancel our summit rotation. Yeah. yeah. So how, how did, how did that feel? At first it was very, very disappointing. Um, a couple of us were really optimistic that we'd be able to figure it out, but it just didn't evolve that way. People took it harder than other people. Um, I would say, and then pretty, once we found out it was over, we pretty much got drunk. <laughs> we pretty much said, okay, we're, it's over and we, and we pretty much got drunk and, um, <laughs> and, um, Makes sense. And, <laughs> no, it, it makes complete sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know. And, uh, and then about a day later, um, the second typhoon was going through. And so we made a choice um, to leave as a team. Um, a lot of people that were chose to helicopter out um, once the typhoon left, but we chose to leave as a team and we left at 7 a.m. And we humped it back through a typhoon and, and heavy, heavy snow, downpour, rain the whole way back and did it in two days where it was a 15 day trip in. So yeah. a lot of camaraderie coming out of it. Yeah, no, that, that makes total sense. Well, listen, when we were on the phone the other day, I mean, you were very convicted that it was absolutely the right decision and no second guessing. I mean, and, and I think you were kind of explaining that it was getting to the end of the climbing season. So there wasn't really an option to keep going. Yeah, so our, our summit day was scheduled for May 28th. Um, yeah. Climbing season closed on May 31st. Mm -hmm. So that really gave us two days to get back down once we summited, um, yeah. which is about all you need. But it was 
absolutely the right decision. I mean, when you're when you're talking about family, and and that's what that's what we 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 still that's what we are. Yeah. Um, you don't want to put unnecessary risk on people. Yep. And and uh, the symptoms of COVID are almost exactly similar to the symptoms of altitude sickness and hape and other things. Just that shortness of breath and things like that. It just it it could put unnecessary risks where 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 there shouldn't be any, especially on a mountain like that. You guys made the right decision. And, and I told you on the phone the other day, I mean, to me, for what it's worth, I'm, it had to have been heartbreaking for you. But to me, you're my friend that climbed Mount Everest. Like I could care less whether you got to the summit or not. Like I am just inspired beyond, beyond belief by the fact that you were able to train for this and make this thing happen. Like it's just incredible. And the fact that, I mean, you were prepared. You were prepared yeah. to do it. You had the mindset to do it. You had the physical body and stamina to do it and uh, to me that's what matters like you've you've inspired me like i've it, watching you through mount rainier and south america and denali and everything that you've done it's 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 really really inspiring um the the thing about this podcast is what we're trying to do is is really just encourage people to get outside and you know and find that connection with nature and yeah. you know you've been do, you've been doing that your whole life and so my question for you is why, you know, you said you're goal oriented, right? I mean, you could, you could have picked any goal, right? You could have run a marathon or you could have, like, why the mountains? What calls you to the mountains? There's, there's no other place like it in the world. Um, there's no other place where you can truly disconnect from, uh, you know, the world. Um, you know, no cell phone, no email. And your ability just to reflect on your life, whether it's family, work, and yourself, right? Um, it everybody needs that that time whether it's 30 minutes whether it's an hour whether it's 65 days um everybody needs that time to just take, take a step back and say because it's a crazy world out there just to take a step back and say you know what what is it i want to do how can i be better how can i be more positive and and really just you know taking a look at that and taking a real look internally and that's what it does for me so you said when you're out there you disconnect and you reflect like you know what happens to taylor in the mountains I become a much more peaceful person. <laughs> um, and there's just so many learnings, right? Um, from, you know, working with the team to, you know, leading and to, you know, picking the right choices that, you know, if you don't drink, I mean, everything's a choice. And, um, you know, you don't drink enough water, you know that you're going to get frostbite or you can get dehydrated. It's just um, having that natural awareness of things. It, it really helps you hone that in. Tell me about that natural awareness. I mean, it's a very, it's a presence, right? It's like a. It is. It's, it's, um, it's, it's a lot of practice to be present in the present. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, uh, 100%. it's really hard. I mean, we get distracted by, you know, our cell phones, by every, the clicks, the everything in the world, like that can distract us. I mean, um, being present where you're at, it's, it's very humbling. Um, and it also, I think it makes you a better person. Why, why can't we find that presence and that that solitude just like here in our in our day-to-day -day lives i think we can I, I i truly think that we can i think uh we let the outside world draw our attention to other things um instead of focusing on the things that are important and um being off the grid i think kind of level sets you um and helps you understand what's really important in your life you know for me coming back um it was you know i spent 65 days away from my family and from my work and coming back it was like you know I am a much more peaceful person. I'm more understanding of things <laughs> and uh, it happens every time. And then also just being um, 
you know, listening to other people. Um, you know, we like to talk, we like to, we like to do all these things that, you know, make us feel better, I would say, but, you know, just listening to what other people have going on helps them as well. So, so. yeah, the understanding, I mean, I know for myself personally, like every time I travel, I just like my awareness becomes more expansive because of just the, the different cultures and the people. And yeah. so, so like through your journey of, of mountaineering, I mean, you kind of, you started on the small side with hiking and then Mount Rainier and then Ecuador. I still have trouble. Can you say that Ecuador it's Aconcagua? Uh, uh, Aconcagua is on the border. Aconcagua. 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 I got to say that a bunch of times because every time I see it on paper, I struggle with it. (laughs) But so the the progression and then like Denali, you made a comment to me that Denali was actually harder than Mount Everest. But I'm just curious, like, how did you grow on each in each one of those experiences and how did those experiences grow on each other? Like in terms of what you're talking about here, the, you know, the peace and the understanding and the, you know, reflection. Yeah, I, I think any, I don't think, I, I know anytime you put yourself into situations that challenge you, um, you're going to come back a stronger person. Um, and so every progression that you have kind of pushes those boundaries and, and pushes your risk assessment, I would say. Um, and so the more risk you, you take that's, that's acceptable risk to, to your skill set, the better, the more you're going to learn, the better off you're going to be. Um, and so if you continue to do that, whether it's, whether it's pushing yourself at work, whether it's pushing yourself outside your norms with your family, whether it's pushing yourself like on a on an outdoor adventure, um, coming back from that, you're always going to be a better person. Yeah, I man, I love that. I, I love that so much. The the challenge and the risk lead to growth. That's what I heard you say. And so, you know, it's almost like you push your you push your limits, you push the risk, you push the challenge, you grow to a certain point, and then you're ready for more. Then you're ready for more. Yeah, and absolutely. So, I'm, I'm ready for more already. <laughs> so what's next? Oh man, um, I, there's a couple pro, couple projects that are out there that um, that I, I like to look at for 2022. But I also gave a commitment to my work and to my family that uh, yeah. 2022 would be a light year. Yeah. Um, so, so Everest definitely in 2023. Um, I'm going to go back uh, awesome. finish, finish what we started and plus. Uh, got a better understanding of, of what to expect. We'll see what 2022 holds. You know, I'd, I'd love to get back down to South America. I'd love to do some, get more into rock climbing. So ice climbing. So we'll see what, what it holds. Maybe, nice. a, maybe a two week trip, not a, not a two month trip. Yeah, there you go. So, I mean, does it, does being back here kind of like the distractions start to build up real life? And it's just like, mm-hmm. it's sort of, this feeling like that I need to go back to kind of fill the tank back up with the peace and the understanding is that so i would say i, I would never tell my work this i'm just kidding <laughs> my family, right <laughs> um i would say that um it's easier to prioritize um and there's a lot so i'm, I'm gonna try to put this the right way of the way i see it there's a lot of um leakage I think is the way I want to put it. And that leakage yeah. is, is a lot of people want your time. Like a, yeah. like a lot of people want your time and, you know, you got to prioritize what's the most important in, in your world. And, and you get that from being off the grid and you understand it. So like, you know, if for work it's, you know, you can't be on every meeting. So, you know, one of the things that I had to do before I even left was make sure that my team at work was if something happened and I wasn't able to be back, then, yeah 
they, they would be prepared to step into my role and be able to, you know, like in a succession planning. I mean, yeah. they're getting your team up to speed. Like it, it helps out so much. And it, when I came back, my workload was, was, was not, it was hardly anything because my team was able to execute and work, work efficiently and get things done because you train them well enough to be able to do that. Home's a little bit different. You come back and, um, and you've been gone for that long and it's pretty much, I have two young kids, two children and it's, uh, pretty much your, your Lindsay's like, here you go. And I'm like, wait, I need a couple of weeks to depress. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not ready for this yet. Yeah. And, um, just managing those expectations is, uh, it's, it's a challenge. But, I totally uh, get it. But you're an inspiration to those kids. That's for sure. You know, one of the things I love about the, you know, what you said about when you come back is you essentially empowered your team. Yeah. And, and now that you're back, like you're here, but it's not like that empowerment's just going to go away. No, of course not. So now your team is stronger and together you guys can do even more, which is really, that's really yeah. powerful. It's very, very powerful. And um, I think that's a good takeaway. Like whether you're an individual contributor or a manager, it's being able to set yourself up for success and working smarter, not harder. And yeah. being able to do that by, you know, enabling and empowering um, others around you. Yeah. So I just want to shift gears real quick because I love I, I'm, I'm really inspired by the word awe. You know, we throw around the word awesome all the time. Sure. But uh, the first podcast that I recorded before that podcast, I, I looked up the word awe in the dictionary and the Google version, which is Oxford languages, defines it as a feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear or wonder. I wonder if you could talk about I'm sure you had some experiences of awe when you were out at Everest. Yeah. The Man, so once you land and you start your trek in the in the Kumba, once you land in the Lupa and you start your trek in the Kumba, it's it's all all. I mean, it's 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 exactly that. I mean, just the people, the culture, um, these massive, monstrous mountains that are yeah. constantly around you that you're looking up like, oh my god. I mean, it's 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 definitely an all experience. Um, so there's there's a lot of those all experiences. Um, I would say the the fear side of that is, um, you know, you're sleeping on a glacier that moves at base camp. You're sleeping on a glacier that moves three to four feet a day. And so, you know, when when you do have time and you're by yourself and you're laying down in your tent, you hear the cracks and the creeks and everything underneath you as that glacier moves. And then all the the all of the, the mountains around you and the uh, the avalanches that you're listening to and like everything just like it just kind of like. It's like, whoa, I'm in this moment. And it's like, I can't believe I'm actually here. It's, it's amazing. So you're like, you're this, this human that's just sitting yeah. on this glacier. Like, I mean, this is like, this is the wilderness. Like you're, you're out in the yeah. wild. And, I, and I do, I do kind of wonder, cause I think some people, you know, think of people that climb Mount Everest as like sort of adrenaline seekers. But I also think that it's, you know, so, it, so, I mean, I'm going to ask you, like, is it the adrenaline? Is it, or is it like, you know, is it a desire to sort of beat nature or is it a desire to sort of be, be with nature? Be part, you know what I'm saying? Like, what, what does that feel like? So it's different for everyone, right? Yeah. For me, it's, um, it, it's look, it's great to be in nature. I, it's one of my favorite places to be. I think it's more pushing yourself to your limits. Yeah. Um, and that's what less for me, it's like, how far can I push push myself without breaking myself <laughs> because then I know like as things arise in your life that 
you're, it's easier to handle situations. If you can push yourself and know where your boundaries are mm-hmm. and know where you can thread that needle, then coming back and, and living in or, or operating in the world as it is, it's easier to make these decisions that, because they're not life-threatening. They're not yeah. like, like, am I going to do this today? Am I gonna, like, what am I going to do for dinner? Right. Yeah. It's like decisions that are really, really, really easy. Same thing with work. I think it, I think it, um, it makes them simpler. So how does Taylor, you, everybody's different. How does Taylor make those decisions, those, those boundary pushing limits? I mean, you know, ultimately you guys had to make a decision that you were going to come back down and yeah. that was the right decision. Like how does Taylor make those decisions where it's like, you know, when, when am I pushing too far? And when, when am I like at that limit and it's time to turn back? I don't know yet. You <laughs> <laughs> need to push until I feel it. Right. <laughs> um, um, you know, fear is always there. Um, you have a choice. It's, it's, do you push through the fear like, and, and keep moving forward or do you take a step back and say, Hey, this, this, whatever this is, it's not for me. And you know what, that's my boundary. I, I don't think I hit my boundary yet. Um, and so I'll keep pushing it until, until I feel like, you know, that's enough. Right. Is there something like inside of you that tells you, Hey, you know, maybe this isn't the time. Yeah. I think you got that gut feeling. I I think everybody has that. Like, um, now it's different whenever you're by yourself versus being with a God. Um, because that guy, that God knows and sees you and can say, look, you hadn't reached your boundary yet. Don't worry about it. Like, like keep pushing. But I think when you're by yourself and you're outdoors, you you may have a different look at it and you may not want to push it just because you don't know what that risk could be. Yeah. Yeah, man, we could talk for hours and, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll uh, end the recording and keep going, but uh, we're, we're getting, uh, getting here to the running out of time, but I want to just two, two other couple quick things is I want to just get your take on people that are listening, you know, like we already talked about, you don't wake up one morning and say, I'm going to climb Mount Everest, but like, what is your advice for people that are listening, thinking like, wow, this is incredible. This guy climbed Mount Everest. Like I could never do that. But like, What's, what's your advice for people that want to experience that same degree of peace and understanding that you talked about when you get out into the wilderness? Never can't be in your vocabulary. Um, that's number one, right? Um, and it's just a matter of, you got to take that first step. Like you never know what you can accomplish if you don't take that first step. And if you take that first step, you never know what you can accomplish. It's just take that first step and see where it leads you. It may lead you down a path that you you find you find that that peace and you find that what you're looking for. And then you may not find it. If you don't find it, then take the next step on a different path and see what you find. So I, I would say, uh, never say never. And there's always a solution. Like, like if someone tells you no, challenge the status quo. <laughs> there's always a solution. There's always a way to figure something out. So yeah, if you want your dream, you just have to go after it. Yeah, you do. You do. Yeah. Um, but make sure you get your wife and your work on board. You got to have the support. That's that's been a consistent theme here for sure. All right. So when they make a movie about your life and your trip to Mount Everest, who is the actor that's going to play you? Um. So let's see. I think I couldn't have it any other way away, but the characters that are currently what they are, like I play myself. Oh, nice. Okay, so you have an acting career coming up. I love it. You got the charisma. You could pull it off. I'm, I'm still watching that movie. And everyone else, like uh, just the whole team, man. It's like uh, just the funny things that happen and things that, yeah. that went on. It's just like, 
I, I wouldn't change it for the world. There, there could All be right. no actors. There could be no so actors. When you, so when you go back, the cameras are coming with you. Let's do it. There you go. All right. What's your, what's your movie going to be called? I think Untangled. Untangled. <laughs> Untangled. 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 Right. Give, me some con- give me some context on that. I'd just say, um, you know, you you got a lot of, there's a lot of things going on in your head, right? And so if you can simplify it and not get caught up in just like the, the rat race and just untangle your life, like um, you can you can accomplish a lot of things. That's magic. Untangled. Untangled. Keep, keep it simple. That's what I'm hearing. Exactly. Keep it simple. Uh, dude, this was, this was so awesome. I really appreciate it. Um, to everybody listening, I hope you've been inspired as much as I have. I hope that Taylor's story has encouraged you to listen to that voice inside of yourself that calls you to adventure. Because I want to hear your story next. And if you have a story to tell or you need a nudge to get out and create one, send us an email. And until next time, I want to encourage you to get outside. Thanks for listening. Taylor, thanks for doing this. Thanks, Scott. Really appreciate it.